You've reached Moody's Never Say Die Hard, a moonlighting podcast with Kevin and Chez. Each week we watch the next episode, available Friday, for you to download. For each break in the case, we have laughs for your face. For every twist and thrill, we have jokes that kill. Some fly by night, some fly by day. So let us now join Addison and Hayes. All major credit cards accepted. Welcome to Mooney's Never Say Die Hard, the podcast about moonlighting. Hey, Chess. Hey, Kev. How are you? I'm good. How is Kiki? Kiki is my cat. She had an operation for uh, kidney stones, and uh, she's doing well. She still has with a cone another week, two weeks. She has five medications a day, and she still loves me. Had it been Lilo, I would be bleeding while doing this podcast. She supposedly would also love me, but it would have been... There's a good chance I'd try a little raspier because she would have known to go for the throat. No, thank you very much. She is asking, and to the people who have asked, thank you very much as well. Everything's going swimmingly, which is good because we're walking into the holidays. Oh, we are. That's true. We are. No, I mean, who knows when you may listen to this podcast, but while <laughs> we're doing this podcast, next week is Thanksgiving. And then if you're listening to it after that, Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah or Happy Kwanzaa. Yeah. And after that, Happy New Year if you're listening to it around then. And, you know, if, I hope things are working out for Valentine's Day if it's February, you know. There are a lot of holidays, <laughs> thing, and we're going to get to every single one of them. Although next week, we will have a little surprise regarding oh, the holidays. Are we, we will are have we a holiday it? gift. Well, we're teasing the tease. Oh, okay, yeah. So do with gonna, that what you will. <laughs> we are going to have a holiday gift for you. We're, we're going to find out if it's a gift to us because we've made some very particular choices. We also want to say that we brought up Kiki because Kiki seems to want to be part of the podcast today. So if we have any technical difficulties at any point, we will point them out and blame Kiki wholeheartedly. Even if it, even if one of us says the wrong character's name, if Ugh. we mispronounce a word. If we Kiki's the new Toby? Jet, <laughs> Did we bring Kiki on? Welcome to the Run. welcome to the team, Kiki. All right. You know what? I think I'm going to end up paying Kiki more because she has to have the expensive food now for the rest of her life. <laughs> oh. The expensive urinary tract food. The triple digit food. That's right. That's how much I love you, cat. <laughs> so if turn. we could start getting some ads or anything. Because we don't have a health plan for our cat. No. For our intern cat. Intern cat. I think that's oh. about as internet as we can do. That's really good. That is good. Okay, so if you are applying for the internship, it has been taken. Sorry. Do not see this as a statement against you that we gave it to a cat instead, because admittedly, we haven't looked at any of your resumes because admittedly, we haven't gotten any. No, I'll just, no, we got tons, tons. Millions. Yep, I'll start shredding them right now. <laughs> just so hard. <laughs> you're doing it so wholeheartedly, you're not even removing staples. For some reason, I'm assuming you're mailing this in. Because it's 1985 in the series. Yeah. We requested paper resumes because we're a moonlighting podcast. And we wanted that good quality 90 pound. Yeah. None of this 30 pound. And we wanted vellum. We wanted that <laughs> cream color. Oh. And because who knows? We're, we're just picking that way. We also wanted four skills. Like when you do an actor thing, you had that special skill, which is juggling or jousting. Anything I, I had on dead. my resume that I could juggle three specific balls. <laughs> they were, they, it was a certain set of three that I could juggle. And if you gave me three that deviated from those three, I couldn't juggle. <laughs> that is actually brilliant. <laughs> the only thing I, not being a stand, not doing that thing, the only thing I would have been able to say is I can make my fingers rotate in opposite directions, which oh. you can't presently see right now because it's a podcast. And then the other thing is cutters on the elbow. Oh, the yeah. 
The happy is that from Happy Days? It is. That's why. Yeah, we... I definitely start did that watching syndicated Happy Days at my grandmother's house for a very long time. I did it first run. There's an age difference. Not <laughs> a yawning chasm of an age difference, but we're both Gen X is what we're saying. There's also the, at the bar, the flipping up the coaster catch. So you put the stack of coasters on the edge of the bar table. And then if you bring your hand up backwards, you can flip it and catch it. And so then you do however many of those, however thick you want to make the coaster pile. That's the one you grab. Yeah. I didn't know that. And probably that was something as when you were in your stand-up comedy phase, since they all take place at bars, you had the opportunity to try. And I'm not a big drinker. Uh, and I needed something to distract me from the giant pile of nerves that was building up in my body for the five minutes of <laughs> open mic time I had ahead of me. Kevin was and is, but he hasn't done stand for a very good. So whatever he's saying, he was very good. I saw you. I saw you repeatedly. You had that. You had a, you had your own show. You were great. Oh, I think I did okay. I was just yeah. really nervous. I was nervous. You're getting to learn about us, is what we're saying. Oh, we are Kevin letting them into up- our lives a little more. Yeah. yeah, Kevin was a stand-up comic, and I saw stand-up comedy. See? See, the, see you're getting to see behind the curtain? I also have a cat who's going to bankrupt me. Bankrupt us. Now I can write it off because cat intern. <laughs> All right. I think you've learned enough about us. Okay. I'm saying you. Now I'm saying specifically to the podcast audience. You know what? We're going to do this all second person. It's going to be like Bright Lights, Big City. It's all second person narrative. You are listening to Moonlighting. You are going to hear. It's going to be wonderful. We're also going to introduce a new feature, which we actually give sort of the TV guide encapsulation of the episode, a little summary, a teaser, just to center you into our little world. Before we do that, this is episode five of Moonlighting, and it's called Next Stop Murder. Next week, and the next episode, episode six, which is how numbers work since Mm. Arabic days, um, Arabic numerals will be the last episode of season one. Yeah, and then we're going to do something that we're teasing but not tease but we are teasing the we tease. are teasing we are yeah. teasing the tease yeah so which... after next week's episode we'll be done with season one of the podcast which corresponds with season one of moonlighting and then the, what we're doing is we're teasing the tease because kevin and i are coy so. we got him on the hook just <laughs> we got him we got him. We're, we're reeling them in <laughs> then we play with them a little then yeah we reel them in and then yeah, we yeah. play with them a little we're going to do our little TV Guide thing. This is not from TV Guide because uh, I do not have that issue of TV Guide. I think I used to collect TV Guide because my parents had a basement. I don't know. Was there a crossword uh, puzzle in TV Guide? There was. I mean, they weren't the hardest. It was sort of like I blank Lucy. And unless you wanted to be dirty, you kind of got that quickly. We're doing F. Mary Kill Lucy. <laughs> That's what we're playing right now. <laughs> oh, man. We now, you can't have this. That is our card game. We, are, we will be kickstarting it shortly. <laughs> and then we get a cartoon series. Exploding Kittens, the card game, is now a Netflix series. We can is do this. Really? Man. Yeah. And we're back on. All, all the strikes are over. We can do whatever we want now, people. We're back on. Kevin and I have a lot to give you. We're teasing so much. All right. We, we got right into the episode like we said we would. It's not bad. This is the it fastest is. we've gotten to the episode. It is. We haven't yet because we're talking about now, getting into it, but this is good. In 10 minutes, we're going to start talking about the episode. We are. Thanks to our cat intern, Kiki. That was a noise I didn't expect to hear. I don't know if you heard it on your end, but if you heard a ding ding. No, I didn't uh, hear anything. I'm too busy shredding all these applications for the interns. (laughs) That was our cat intern's fault. This is working out perfectly. 
Yeah. She's adorable and we love her and she's going to destroy our podcast. Oh man, are we going to have pictures on Instagram of Kiki with like headphones on or like working a board? <laughs> Either one of us have an editing board? No. I I I don't think we can go that far. Okay. I don't. I All don't. Right. Next next week headphones at the board. But for now, I I don't like the photos of cats wearing glasses or, you know, made to look human. I don't. I don't. I don't like I when they talk. I don't like I don't when mind. they actually handle the editing board. <laughs> I don't mind the thought talking of an animal. I don't like when the when they show like a mouth moving. Yeah, when they clearly gave it like the Mr. Ed peanut butter technique. Yeah. Or actually now they wouldn't do that. Just yeah, CGI. Yeah, just CGI. Yeah. <laughs> nope, peanut butter. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not a fan. I do like the thought pattern. I'm ve- because I grew up peanuts. I'm very much of the Snoopy approach. And in the cartoon, Snoopy never spoke. I think yeah. it was Bill Melendez who did the voice, who was the producer of the cartoons. Yeah, if an animal wants to communicate with me, I either need to hear the animal's thoughts or the animal needs to hold up a sign with words yeah. on it. Or just a missive, a nice letter. Yeah. A 90-pound cream-colored vellum paper <laughs> mailed to us. Oh, now, never say die hard. Now, now, I'm more mail. To, now I'm gonna have to sift through all these applications and make sure none of them are letters from animals we're gonna learn a lot about the wild kingdom people this is <laughs> this is what we bring to you we almost got so close to talking about the episode that i'm actually gonna force the issue and we're gonna get into yeah, it let's right do now. it episode five next stop murder tonight on moonlighting blue moon detective agency's rhyming receptionist agnes DePesto wins a magazine essay contest aboard a famous mystery writer's 24-hour murder train but when maddie and david get stuck in the train and a real murder occurs the agency is on the case that was really nice but one of those that you could only do it in this kind of voice <laughs> apparently because that's the only way i was able to do it right now we started with the shorter intro again not the minute long song it's and, uh, because they're doing that on the show as well and for the first time we go straight to the office in the main cast before we get like a murder or a crime or anything for them to solve. Ooh, good point. I did miss reading anything from the Los Angeles Tribune. Yeah, I feel I like mean, they, they cover stuff. They should still be covering things like what? Agnes winning this murder train contest. That could have been on the front page of the 220 pages. For a quarter. <laughs> I, I'm wondering if the Los Angeles Tribune is like 98% penny saver ads. <laughs> I would have thought at the and given the notoriety of who dies in this episode, yeah. because we find out two things in the moonlighting world. There are a lot of famous people who die. Yeah. And we will find that again. A hundred and ten percent of the American population is packing heat. <laughs> Everyone had a gun in the 80s. You got a Walkman. You got a gun. Head out into the streets. Actually, that's a throwback to our pilot episode. Oh, yeah. Remember the, the assassin guy. Gun? The punk, the, punk punk the punk guy. He had a Walkman and a gun, and he headed out onto the streets, just like you said. Just I'm like paying attention. <laughs> this episode felt like the moonlighting that I think of when I think of moonlighting. It was quick. Yep. It was very funny, and they seemed to have a really good hold of the characters on this one. I mean, yeah, and it was nice. a few bumps, a few bumps, but right. You know. But it was nice to see Agnes do more than just say hi to them in the morning. It was. In fact, uh, we we open with yet again Maddie worried about expenses, which they is actually- are living. They are living case to case, and she's going through the funds like she's working the calculator so that we know that she's she's figured out what their debts are. The calculator got to nine digits in what she was <laughs> typing, so they are millions of dollars in debt. <laughs> I don't even know how she still has the house, the office, that large staff. Clothes. I don't know how food. 
Like if you just kept hitting numbers and they stayed on it and it was nine digits. So if you take the two decimals off, we're in millions. That actually is a great visual gag that I'm going to assume (laughs) they did on purpose. Yeah. They just said, keep typing, just press things. And it's great because it's the classic, you pull up the receipt. Of course, it's because it's 1985. And what I like is usually in the 80s, we think corporations now, but it was always, remember, this was yuppie, go-go, corporate thing. And I like that this is a scrappy agency. I don't want them to not do well, but I like that it's actually a good narrative choice. Yeah. They have to search. They have to get on their feet, which... Yeah, there's stakes. There's stakes to it, because they need need a case. If they're just rolling in cases, why do we care? I don't. (laughs) It's the scrappy underdog, but if you think of a lot of detective shows, I'm not saying like a Columbo, because he, he was with the LAPD, but if you think a lot of them, they were kind of scrappy. Yeah. Because a private eye thing is probably not a rolling in the dough thing. I mean, go way back to like Rockford Files. He's always scrappy. Now I got the Rockford Files theme in my head. I will not do that to you, Kevin. <laughs> and if I do, you're like, okay, that was a theme, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> so Maddie is doing this, looking over the finances. Yeah. And then scream. No, wait. Ooh. Ooh. I, it's, it's true. There is a scream. But... What I noticed is David comes in and says, everything's going to be fine. We don't need a case. But he goes through this list of potential cases that are possibly happening out in the world and not even anything to do with moonlighting. It just made me sad that they need that awful stuff to happen for them to live case to case. That's a really good point, because a lot of them seem to involve killing your partner. Yeah. Or desperately needing the cash to kill your partner. Or not liking your partner and wanting to kill. There was a theme. Yeah, there was a theme. And I feel like that would weigh on Maddie after a while. I know it's a comedy show and it's not going to be, it's not going to weigh on her. It's going to be fine every week. But but, but I feel like a, a real person that would probably bother them after a while because they need people to die to pay off their millions in debt that they accumulated, at the as we saw with the calculator. But... <laughs> I mean, they are so screwed. They're oh. so screwed. I mean, they, they, they don't they don't need a, a case a week. They need a, a case an hour. <laughs> the, to your point, uh, as we see later in the episode, these things do affect Maddie. I mean, remember the old guy from episode two, the old assassin? Oh, yeah. It was, it was all assassins all the time for a while. People. And she actually fell for him. And she feels for the people on the train because she's worried about what they're going to do to each other. And she's worried about Agnes. We're jumping ahead, but we're getting back. Yeah, yeah. This is how we roll now. It's weird because all the cases David says seem to involve someone dying. And I got to think as a detective agency, 98% of your cases do not involve that. Because I assume once death is involved, you got the police involved. Yeah, they have a whole, like, <laughs> there's a whole section of the police department that handles <laughs> that, I believe. There's a department. <laughs> yeah, a whole department that does it. They, I mean, we've seen our law and orders. <laughs> yeah. They talk to someone who keeps doing their job as they're talking to the police. I understand for television you need action, and that's why the guy keeps unloading the, the, the oranges off the back of the truck. But if two detectives from Homicide came up to me and asked questions... One, I'd probably get nervous even though I had nothing to do with it. And two, I probably wouldn't go about just writing comic strips as they're talking to me. (laughs) Can you talk to our cat intern? But good point. So yeah, there's a scream and we we get the start of our Agnes episode for real. And it's fun because Agnes is in the center of it. And Agnes will point out a couple of things. But Agnes, I sometimes wonder because she is 
in this episode, so wide-eyed and cheery. I wonder if she actually ever leaves the office. <laughs> yeah, because this is her first time out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's weird because it's, I, I just had this thought that it, I wonder if she leaves the office, if she ever, like, if she's out in the world, if she's still all smiles and rhyming couplets and talking to a bank teller who keeps saying savings are checking and she keeps rhyming and smiling. <laughs> so, you, so you think, like, she, at the end of the day, when they all walk out of the the blue moon detective agency that she says well everybody i'll see you tomorrow and they all like walk away and that she does like abe simpson in the meme just goes back around and goes <laughs> goes right back into the office for the next day sleeps at the desk it's it's rosencrantz and gildenstern but you're only looking you know but if rosencrantz but you didn't have that they, she just disappears like she has to go into stasis <laughs> mode until the next episode which is the exact opposite of Rosencrantz concern, actually. Like, if she went to the bank, it's like, wow, so the pens now have ink in them. And it comes with this chain that's attached to the <laughs> desk. This pen belongs to the bank. I get a whole bank with this pen. Uh, m- m- Mr. Pesto, we, uh, <laughs> we've discussed this many times. We actually she's, have. A pre- she's, she's memento? It's all written on her arms. <laughs> like every morning in, she wakes up, she's like, Blue Moon Detective Agency. That's why she in, speaks in rhymes, because it's easy to remember rhymes. It, it is. Either the, the tattoos are on iambic pentameter. It's just going to be fantastic. It's all A, B, A. But <laughs> it, notice how I suddenly forgot what the rhyming scheme is for iambic pentameter. But yeah, I mean, it, they probably have someone special at the bank to talk to her. Uh. It's great. And I love the Agnes character. But this episode, as it keeps going, you're like, You'll, there's a point where she says something that, you, that made me think, oh, good Lord, you have you 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 don't go out. I mean, I was painfully shy for a large portion of my life, despite the fact I ramble and can hear, you know, consistently here. But even at that point, I know I saw more. And, you know, you don't you don't want to be the Chez in his 20s who was more experienced than anyone. <laughs> I see. I feel like I revealed way too much, and I wasn't revealing that because that's not true, people. Yeah. And our let's go to our sponsor because I just talked myself into a corner. <laughs> Cheaper urinary cat food. That's all we want as our sponsor because that's what we need for our intern. <laughs> anyway, so she screams, and David and Maddie run out to to see what the scream is about. It turns out that Agnes has won a contest with J. B. Harlan, who. Thankfully, Maddie had heard of because David had not heard of him. Although you get the feeling later he did and he didn't want to acknowledge it because he, okay. he cites a line that seems to be specific for the book and he kind of chuckles. But then again, it may just be David scored the line. He's all over the map. I feel like if you've seen Loki, I wonder if David time slips because there are times <laughs> where he's right on the money and other times he's all over the place. Like, did he he time slipped, read all the J.B. Harland books and then came back to this episode so that he could get it right and that time slipping may occasionally describe the occasional as we'll discuss lapse in decorum (laughs) which actually is david's bread and butter to be quite honest yeah but what's interesting when she screams is that what are the extras thousands of extras which is causing that seven digit problem in the deck Mm. says she was she was in the middle of her poem and trying to find a line a rhyme for detective which was kind of a meta nod and david's right effective would have been good because my first thought was defective and that doesn't help i had selective but yeah Ooh, very nice i like selective defective was not going to work if you have an idea please leave it in your comments (laughs) remember because we have oh my god the anvil the anvil was our forum in the oh, bar that was a good pull. That was. Yeah, you know I wasn't going to get there. We are nearing the end of our first season. We're trying to bring things together, people. We are. We're just, we're, we're, 
we want to be whole for you. Like a quilt that people make at the end of like the journey out of all the t-shirts your kid wore through all the sporting events. Like that's what we're doing. We're making a quilt of moonlighting references. That was goddamn beautiful, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> and you I can buy that quilt. That quilt. <laughs> at our The Anvil shop. Yeah. I like, all, I like how All we... money goes to urinary cat food. As you can see, this is also, we're also doing this on a sports radio channel for our podcast. We're really, we know the audience we're going for. <laughs> just hardcore Saturday night beer drink. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I, I had a damn still late once. But you actually are a very big sports fan. And I'm not yeah, denigrating yeah. that aspect. And because you've suffered, he, he's a Mets fan. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's going to get better. It is. Although, honestly, in this episode, we cite the Mets. Not We don't cite the Mets directly, but they cite something that affected the Mets. See? See, this is a team. Oh, my God. So I don't even here. know. I can't wait. <laughs> I, 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 did, I did a little, ra- like, like you did last week with the Killing Field. I did a little rabbit hole kind of oh, thing. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, okay. I was inspired by you. You really, you really, you're really making me up my game here and not just by bad. All right. This is good. <laughs> I can't wait. That's a great <laughs> teaser for later in the episode. So much. We have so much <laughs> to all. So um, Agnes, Agnes won this contest from J.B. Harland. It's an essay contest to get on J.B. Harland's murder train. The murder train happens once a year, and somebody on the train will die. I think they said there's four people on the train, but I think and and the essay person. Yeah, there is there is a math problem given the number of people that I have to bring up a little. It's all thesis people. Oh, there's a lot of weird math in this. I have a different one probably than you, but yeah. It starts. It starts with. It starts with a detective agency that's in the millions in the red. <laughs> Math plays a big role in an episode that has nothing to do with math. So so she won the essay contest and she gets to be on the murder train. And she got the letter late, so the train is tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because it's the mail. The mail's never been good. And remember, this is actual mail, just like we wanted our letters from wildlife. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how we got to that point, and now that's our reality, people. We've got a cat intern with a urinary tract issue. And we're getting letters from chipmunks. So she has to go to the, she wants to go to the train and she doesn't want to leave her car. So David volunteers Maddie to drive Agnes to the train. But David will go as well. Yeah. And that's as much as Maddie, Maddie's not happy about this because she has a, Maddie we always hear has a date. Yeah. And she, as we find out, she wears her date wardrobe, which we'll get to in a little bit. Oh man. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, it's it's remarkable. But she says, you know, I have plans that night to which David said, you know, I have plans Saturday night, to which David says, haven't you heard of Midnight Mass? Which I like that as a line. Yeah. I mean, that's it's it's not going to be one of the better ones you hear, but it starts the little rhythm of, you know what? That actually is a line that isn't David being to David. It's the start that I think the show's finding its rhythm. It has yeah. been slowly, but this is the episode that I think it. Re- if if someone goes, oh, I remember moonlighting. This may be the first episode of the season that goes, yeah, I remember that moonlighting. There's not fourth wall breaking aside from acknowledging what Agnes does at the beginning of every episode, but it's it's nice. Yeah. So they go they go to the train station, and this is the first time I. It was really obvious that they were using a filter on Sybil Shepard in the train station. Whenever they were on a single shot of Maddie, it had that weird Vaseline type filter on it. I noticed that as well. You're absolutely right. It that was this was but and even more to your point, this is the first time I noticed it. It's a famous 
thing for moonlighting that they yeah. use this filter. And in she this asked case, for that filter because she wanted it to feel like a. Th- didn't she do that? She. I thought Sybil Shepherd asked for the filter to to feel like a throwback to like those forties looking things. Yeah, to to do the the old Rosalind Russell the the fast yeah. quippy show. Yeah, and that's actually a very good point. Sybil Shepherd, they're at the train station, and two things. Maddie, we're not going to say Sybil Shepherd. Maddie has a date night outfit. Oh, it's spicy. <laughs> I mean, I I never know what it's not. LeMay or thing that's on the dress or anything. It's not like it's bad. It's 80s. It's not like no, it's bad. No, it is a silver, very beaded dress gown type thing. Topped with the heaviest. I think the Lynx was killed that day for this coat. And will never be able to send us a letter. Never. See, keep tying it in, people. Yeah, this is yeah. what we're, we're becoming yeah. professionals at this. <laughs> so, yeah, giant fur on top of this very beaded gown thing. What I'm going to assume is May in L.A. Yeah. And also, so they're at Union Station, an actual station in Los Angeles. Okay. And <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whatever you say, man. There's no way that's true. Well, the cat's not going to be able to check this for us. We got the wrong intern. She's she's in it just for the health plan we don't have. We're going to get away from cat intern people. We're going to move that. Put I don't this. buy it. <laughs> I don't either. It's a lot. <laughs> but Agnes is mesmerized by a train station. And yeah. she says the last time she was at a train station, she took a train. <laughs> I'm really wondering if she needs help at supermarkets. Oh. I don't want her to. When she left, when she said they were going to drive, remember, she thanked them in a rhyme. Yes, that's and true. That's when they, and they use the line that you hear a couple times is great, great. That's great. Yeah. It's great, great. And I actually like the great, great. I think I'm going to use the great, great. I wonder if that's going to continue on. It's it's a good question. I I, I could see that. It becomes her catchphrase. It's great, Agnes's, great. did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> I, there was a New Girl episode where she uses that phrase, and apparently the next group was just young enough not to know that was from Urkel, and they uh, thought that was her phrase. And when they find out it was from a show called Family Matters, they ghosted her. They just—I'm saying the New Girl character because I'm actually forgetting the Zoe Deschanel's Zoe character name. Yeah, Zoe Deschanel's character in New Girl. No, I remember uh, the actual- Jess. It was Jess. It was actually that was a good show. Screw this, we're doing a New Girl podcast. <laughs> okay, she's adorable. That was the they said all the time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's uh, I like the the uh, the guy who's the more raspable one, the bartender one, the one who's the voice of Peter B. Parker in the Spider-Man animated movies. Jake Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson. Actually, I like the whole cast. It was it was a fun show, to be quite honest. But what we're saying is look for our new podcast in 2025 when everyone is talking new girl. (laughs) It's <laughs> like everyone is talking moonlighting in 2023. We were on it. We, we finger was on the Zeitgeist yeah. post when this came so out. It, so 2025 is when we'll be freed from the shackles that are moonlighting. Uh, looking forward. Freed from our passion. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Which is an odd phrase if you think about it. So yeah, one, she's mesmerized. I mean, she's looking around wide-eyed, and she also she's wearing a pink hooded cape. That looked like the re- a reverse bleaching of a Red Riding Hood cape. I mean, I, I think it was almost she... done specifically to make her look babe in the woods. My note was she's dressed like a pastel Jedi. <laughs> I like that. It was very much the color of the Easter edition of M&M's. And it was, but remember, she even refers to herself as Cinderella at one point in yeah, this. Yeah, that's true. And that's when David says the matter. I think that makes us the mice. While they're standing yeah. uncomfortably close to each other. In fact, you saw... 
David move Maddie into like spot, like almost like your ex is on the floor over here, Sybil. <laughs> we have to be over here. And then they're on top of each other. Like, I don't think they were even supposed to be touching. Like, I don't think he was supposed to grab, but it looked like a move. Like, we have to be here for this shot. And then tight. And that's a good point. Yeah, it's amazing. I keep saying that's a good point. But it is a good point. They're all good points you make. They're great but points. It's, they great, great points. <laughs> we're doing it. I know. I know we're not supposed to applaud each other. I'm not applauding us. I'm applauding Kevin. Which yeah. sounds so like hand on the head you. But that's not what it is. I thought that was wonderful. Because, champ, yeah, it champ was. Champ do good. Champ do champ good. Champ do good. Champ gets, champ gets a juice box. Yeah. Oh, that's just horrible. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it's the four three ratio. Yeah, you, you had to have really tight crop scenes, and uh, which because remember that was very much the era of the three camera thing, which makes it sound like the three cameras are right up against each other, just zooming in off. <laughs> Why do we have three cameras if they're all on the same spot? Why not master it? Nope, hit your X. So they're they're on top of each other. They, she's dressed like like a fairy tale character because she's like going things. off onto this adventure. So Agnes finds out it's a private train. And that's a good thing because this episode is quick-witted and fast-paced and funny, and that would never have happened, say, on New Jersey Transit <laughs> or LIRR or the subway, which is, you might have heard the stories of what's happening in the subway in New York. None of it is good, but it's it just would have been so pronouncedly unpleasant. All, all would have been, instead of all this funny thing, you would have just been dead quiet looking at your phone as you would have heard someone two rows back going, you know what the problem is with all ethnic groups? It's just an unpleasant ride all around people. What we're saying is don't take mass transit in the Northeast. I just, I'm just picturing J.B. Harlan renting. He rented three cars on an Acela. <laughs> we're going to make it work. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're all the quiet cars, so you really can't have any dialogue in this episode. But I like that, and David even points out, bold choice, that um, Agnes's, I keep saying Agnes's, but it's always necessarily Mr. Pesto. But Agnes's essay was titled, Why I Think J.B. Harlan is the Greatest Mystery Writer of All Time. <laughs> I did like his bold choice line. Yeah, yeah. I did too. Yeah. Because that's like if you and I, and we yeah. have written a lot, so look for our entire ooh, I think if we wrote a manuscript called Random House of Sovereign and shall not be questioned. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we screwed ourselves out of Hopper Collins and Simon and Schuster, but we know what we're going for. Publishing is all about taking a chance. Actually, it's a complete opposite. Though. Hard earned, bitter advice, people. <laughs> but I will say when she said the title of our essay, that was my first clue into the character of J.B. Harlan. Oh, yeah. The, she also uh, has. Are they getting on the train? Are we putting them on the train yet? We're about to put him on the train. Okay. She has two suitcases. Agnes has two suitcases for the 24-hour train ride. I was really hoping one of them would be the classic round hat box. <laughs> yeah. No, these or are two like, legitimate suitcases. Remember the, what was it, the movie that actually was sort of a satire in these kind of films, Down With Love, when Renee Zellweger comes to yeah. the city, and she's got these six suitcases, and almost like the portmanteau on wheels, she's got a drag and everything. It yeah. is 24 hours, and I know you probably won dinnerware and you want sleepwear but after that i'm not quite sure what you're doing it would have been me with a backpack and going oh crap you mean i had to wear a tie we never get to that point we never get to dinner really we would well, kind of but not really there is a cute moment before they get on the train between maddie and david because i also i think in our podcast while making fun of every single little step of the episode like we do we are trying to see the growth of the relationship between Maddie and David and how Maddie just has to 
drag with everything she has David out of the world of being a child because he is a child a lot of the time. So when he asks if the person she has a date with needs her to cut his food because it's like an old man because David, I think David does have feelings that he doesn't know how to express at his young age of 30. (laughs) He's a a 30 year old, 11 year old. Yeah. Yeah. So he needs to like, like we said last week, he needs to neg her like a, like he's following something from the early 2000s on how to pick up a hot lady. And she says to him, why can't you just say, I hope you have a nice time? And he says, reluctantly, I hope you have a nice time. And I thought that was nice because he realized that he bothered her a little, maybe, and that she wants this out of him. So he's going to give it to her that time. It was nice. It's not going to stop him from doing. No, it. not at all. But in anyway, that moment, in that moment, moment, he didn't make another quip. There are a couple moments in this episode where that kind of happens. Yeah. Where there are moments of this is not the will they or won't they, but the three of them are kind of a family unit. Yeah. Which, OK, you, that can screw with your thoughts of what happens later in the series. But it's nice. It's nice that Agnes has such a role because now you get the relationships building because you get the relationships not between. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're right. And they they show that they have this affection for Agnes that we haven't seen them make. But I guess we're allowed to assume that their lives continue on when we're not watching episodes. (laughs) But (laughs) but they, they they do have this affection for her that that is through the whole episode and. You feel it. You feel that they really, really care about Agnes. It's a sincere affection. And to be quite honest, the way that Alice Beasley plays a character, I don't know how you couldn't. Right. There was a person when I used to work at Business Week, this does tie in. I'm going to say only nice things. I'm going to say her name, Patricia Hippoway. Wonderful, wonderful person. Absolutely wonderful. She was the administrator. She was the assistant to the uh, president. Absolutely wonderful. That We used to joke that if Patricia Hippoworth ever said, anything even slightly nasty is like, I don't want to deal with you right now or even curse at you, which I can't imagine she ever cursed. We said at that point, you might as well just walk into traffic and call quits. <laughs> you are an awful person. And Agnes strikes me as this. It's like, yeah. how could you not like this individual? And it's because of the, it's not just the writing. It's because of how Alice Beasley plays it. You, she's just a warm ball of sunshine. Yeah. You're happy to be around her. Even if she is pink Jedi and she's curious about mass transit. <laughs> So what needs to happen next, they bring they bring Agnes into her where she's going to be staying on the train. David drops off the suitcases, makes comments about the room. But what needs to happen is they need to also get stuck on the train for us to have an episode. And the whole time, I know that that's what has to happen. But my anxiety level of them being on a train without a ticket and not following the rules was so much for me. It bothered me so much. I'm like, please get off the train. Maybe they'll just get off the train. I know we need it for the next 40 minutes to, to be an episode of Moonlighting, but maybe they could just get off the train. <laughs> they, just, they just stay at Union Station and occasionally Agnes's voice carries so they yeah. know what's going on on the train. Oh, I can completely understand yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a view into me and not really about the Moonlighting episode. It's, it's a view into my world. I think had I been on the train, I would have been like, you. Yeah, I would have been very nervous that they go, why are you on this train? And I yeah. would have basically going, I would have been like Maddie going, we got our train, not because I would have had a date, right. but because I would have thought <laughs> they will be upset if we're on this train and we're not supposed to be on this train. And they don't know it at the time, but we do hear repeatedly, this is a 24 hour train, nonstop train. They even mention at one point that the conductor, the, the engineer is padlocked 
into the engine in the engine room. They, they can't We're, they can't ever stop the train because he is padlocked. 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 Actually padlocked. padlocked. <laughs> He's in there with a bucket or spare spar- yeah. not that a mop. One sandwich. One sandwich, sandwich a and a pee bucket. Or a mop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a dream. And hopefully a window. I mean as the engineer, I'm hoping he has a window. But who takes that job? That's gotta pay well. But probably not, because we also find that JB Ballard's kind of a cheap bastard. I mean, really, really cheap. I will say this. And we, so JB Harland, our yeah. mystery writer, who as we find out in the tradition of all mystery novels, when you've got the rich person, he is in the words I'm going to just assign to Agatha Christie, a real prick. Because yeah. I, I, I think I, she wrote I that have, and then there was none. I wrote down three descriptions of J.B. Harlan so that if anybody doesn't watch the episode, they can picture him in their mind. And we can do it up front. I like that. So one is he looks like he's carved out of wood and the model was Ben Cartwright from Bonanza. Really? I thought Long Green as well. Yeah. Well done. Wow. And then I'm sorry, I don't mean to be well yeah, done no. like the padding. Yeah. I apologize, but that was just I like that. He looks like if you asked AI to make a wax figure combining every Scooby-Doo villain, <laughs> <laughs> or he's like if Willy Wonka ate like a weird piece of candy and he had to carry on stuck in the body of Grandpa Joe. <laughs> wow, all those are dead on people. Yeah, all those. Even his suit has the leather thing on top that made it, I didn't think at the time, but that's make him look like Lauren Green and Bonanza. Yeah. He had that, we, there are two actors, smaller character roles that uh, we recognize, or I recognize one and we both recognize two of them. I recognize him because I'm old. But the actor who played Jay Harlan, he was in like combat. He would be in a bunch of Westerns. He had that face. And you're yeah. right. It, that was, yeah, that's all you need to know about him. Yeah. Also, he's an ass. Huge. By the way, if at, this point you haven't figured out who's gonna die uh <laughs> jb dies jb dies we We're skipped not, ahead we, so much this is this is uncomfortable for me is, I, we, I am actually we are in the weeds people this we was supposed to going. happen 40 to 70 minutes from now <laughs> and we're here already? Oh. It's like when you're editing out podcasts and you have to cut out all my ums and all various things just to tighten it. We we just edited the hell out of this. We have to we're gonna fill in back some details. Yeah, we have to go back. We have to go back. I will say with JB Harlan, I kept thinking the name to me sounded so close to the real life writer JG Ballard, which is what oh, I kept okay. hearing. Now, JG Ballard wrote Crash. Not the best picture that should never have won best picture. He's the one who wrote the crash where the people get sexually excited from car crashes. Oh, they made a movie of that with James Spader where they purposely get into car crashes because it really turns them on. That movie did not win best picture. What's I don't that? think it is that movie also called Crash. It's also called Crash. Okay, and in fact, I think it was Crash before Crash. So when Crash came out. I was like, I don't know if any of these people are going to get sexually excited. And but, uh, that wasn't that movie at all. Otherwise, it was just the title that bothered you about the second Crash movie. No, no, that was the <laughs> please. You're, you're saying the on the record that you the only problem you had with that movie was the title? Not even close, and we're not even going to joke about that, because <laughs> ye gods, ye gods. I mean, um, oh, sweet Jeebus, no. But anyway, so he also did the movie that uh, there's a movie called Highlight which stars Loki. Oh, okay. It's about skyscraper and how society gets basically stratified within that skyscraper when everything shuts down. It's it's a hard movie to watch, even with Loki. So these are the details. Three of them are really crucial on the point details, and one of them is pointless because I was talking about someone else entirely. <laughs>
Yeah, I would feel nervous. I was like, you you are going to go. We both know they got yeah. to get stuck. But but yeah, I wanted them to get off the train. So the way that they got stuck was because David's a child. <laughs> so David, well, I guess my wife is also this way. You have to push every button that's available. Like, like Lolly has to push every button in any car or any room or anything we've ever been in. She pushes everything. I don't touch anything because it's like, this is the way the factory wanted it. (laughs) (laughs) Who am I? I I don't I don't know how to build a car. They do. This is what they wanted. This is what they wanted the car to be. (laughs) I am in complete agreement with you on that. I remember as a kid going, we can't rip this tag. It says so right there. Yeah. Meanwhile, the way you just described Lolly, it's like when she's in an elevator, both hands on all the numbers. Yeah. Take the Christmas tree. Yeah. <laughs> she absolutely would. I will say there's one line that I like here because David was talking about, I mean, there's several of them, but David's talking how plush the cabin is. And we're told that the cabin is a really nice cabin, and we're going to agree with that. Oh, yeah. With carpet on the walls. Carpet on the walls. So you, which yeah. Dave said, it was supposed to be a hard thing. But he says, look at the cabin, they're pretty plush. Bet you the whole train goes condo within a year. I like that line. That's a funny line. I do wonder, because you and I have a bet that we get nervous and we don't want to oversell anything, that we keep saying these are good lines and anyone listening going, "Eh." it's context, people. Comedy is context. It's a good line. It is a good line. What's wrong with our listeners? I don't know. Nothing. They're wonderful, beautiful people who hopefully will like and subscribe. No, I want new listeners. I just want new ones. Start over. Episode one, pilot. (laughs) Every... (laughs) <laughs> everyone, 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 just just look away for a second. Yeah. All right. We so. are we are on we are on Tinder hooks here with this. Our we are seven digits in the red with our podcast. <laughs> we need this to work. Don't turn away our listeners. And you're back. Hi. <laughs> there is a story David tells before they get stuck about I, yeah the button. Very much a lolly non Kevin non Chez story. Yeah. Where he had to touch all his buttons. And it was 1965, and he figured because he had left all the lights on and left everything on, he was the cause of the 1965 blackout, which is a real blackout. Okay. I know of it. I'm not that old. I know the 77 blackout in New York City, but it shut out basically 10 states and parts of Canada. Wow. David, David really ruined. But his child was that he was a kid. He pressed it. He caused the blackout. So here's, remember when I teased you something about the Mets? Yeah, I'm so excited. All right. So there are two things. This blackout is going to be mentioned twice in this episode. I I guessed that when you said something in a deep dive got to the Mets that it had to be this blackout. But I don't know how. No, all the entire Mets roster of 1985 (laughs) is killed on the train, which is a shame because isn't that when they they win the following year? No, no. When do they win the World Series? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant from 65. I thought you meant. No, no, no. No, I'm, I'm sorry. You're right. The show yeah. takes place in 85. And I think yeah, no, they win the next year. They do. I thought you were going to say, yeah, the Mets are all killed on the train in 85. So to the, this blackout gets mentioned again later mm-hmm. to the point that I began to think for these writers, is this like their Christmas in a Shane Black movie? Shane Black always writes. Even yeah. Iron Man 3 takes place at Christmas. Nice Guys takes place at Christmas. It also usually involves a dead prostitute, but that doesn't happen in this. Uh, he, he celebrates the holidays in his own way, Shane Black. But So during, the, during this blackout, which never would have happened under either of our watch because we wouldn't have pressed the wrong button. Nope. We're, now be- we're now believing David's story is what we're saying. <laughs> Jay Stadium goes dark at the bottom of the sixth. Mets-Cubs huh. game. So they have to play it two months later. They can't finish the game because they didn't finish. Well, what is the requisite number of innings for a game to be official? 
Is it full it, six or is there no such thing? It it depends on if the game matters to the team that's losing at the official point. Because sometimes they'll just suspend it and let you play it later, even if you've gotten in the right amount. So officially, if the if the umpires want to call the game, it is you have to get at least four and a half innings. So you have to finish the top of the fifth inning if the home team is winning. If the home team is losing, you have to finish five innings. So four and a half. So it really is half a game. It is really yeah. mathematically. Remember we said yeah. math people? It is really mathematically half a game. What happens is apparently no one agreed to that. They played They did. They played the game two months later. And I'm sorry, the Cubs, they won. It was, it was 1965. The Mets won like four games. <laughs> they, were, they were really bad until like 68. I think that was the first time they were good. I mean, at that point, at that point, they were still kind of getting like day players, right? Picking them up at the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Inside of Shea Stadium. Yeah. So who wants to be in today's game? Yeah. So, but David does press a button because mm-hmm. David is not us. Yeah. And uh, Murphy he, bed opens. He, he for some reason convinces Maddie to sit on the bed with him. It's a Murphy bed that opens up. Yeah, Murphy bed that opens up. He says, I promise we'll leave if you just sit on the bed with me, which is weird. I don't know what's happening there, but she has Remember, to do it. A- Again, they, the writers had to get them to stay on the train. So, so tight crop shot. Yeah. So she has to be on the bed. So she sits on the bed and then David hits a button and the Murphy bed closes with amazing hydraulics. Oh, God. Yeah. And that's a roomy space within there. Yeah. It's not that these are. These are very well fit. These are fit people. They're just tall people. I'm going to say this because later Agnes has left the room, by the way. We should mm-hmm. point that out. Agnes oh. is just not watching this happen before her eyes because, you know, I just like, <laughs> wow, this room has four walls. You know, it's just... it used to have three people and now it's just one. And she, she has walked off to kind of scout the train because as much as we're playing innocent, she can be left alone to her own devices and wander on the train without them going. One of us better keep an eye on her. Before all this, when he's talking about the bed, by the way, had I been trapped in that bed? Because when Agnes does come in, it's them yelling at one another. Yeah. Had I been trapped in that bed, that would have been nothing more than a prolonged pee scream. I would have been screaming and urinating <laughs> out of fear because I'm highly claustrophobic. I do not. I'm selling uh, myself so well. So people, you want to check me out on Hinge and Bumble. But I am, I've got a cat with a urinary tract He's infection. great. Minus both of his and his cat's urinary problem. Oh, thank you, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. You were leading with the with the with the con, and you have so many pros. <laughs> oh, you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know where to go there. Go touch. <laughs> the David says. Now this is where I have a theory. Okay. So if you're a regular listener, and we hope you are, and that you like and subscribe, and also checking out TikTok and IG, and did not listen as much as. Kevin is a wonderful person and says very nice things. Did not listen to the part where he said he no longer wanted you. But a listener, we want you. We need you. We are seven digits in the red. No, I think there was something wrong with my mic when I said it. I think it was something. Yeah, it got garbled and came out wrong. Cat intern. Cat intern walked across your keyboard. Uh, That's what happened. That's what it was. And then said something. Because, which they shouldn't, because we said cats should only be doing thought. Only holding up signs. Yeah, and see what happens when the cat talks? We get nonsense like before. That was not Kevin. You're tying things in really well. I'm really proud yeah. of us. <laughs> Firing in all cylinders today. I also like how we keep calling out how well we think we're doing. 
<laughs> which, which is what confident people say all the time, right? So David says when he's on the Murphy Bread Cup, he says it reminds him of his time in San Quentin. Now, David later, and I don't want to call this that now, says something that ties into this, but doesn't, but does. And I'm wondering, has David, we don't know a lot about David's backstory, but which I mean, we know nothing about mm-hmm. David's backstory. David in prison at one point? Is this how he learned his detective skills? There's a line later that makes him seem like a serial killer. So it's possible. Oh, wow. I didn't get that. I got a line that made me think he's clearly been arrested. Okay, cool. The, <laughs> I'm now, looking I'm forward tie, to your arresting line. I'm I'm I'll, I'll give you my serial, serial killer, killer line. So the reason is, I saw that, I thought, has he been in prison? Is this why he knows the things he does? Like last week's episode, how to, was it last week? Which was the radio show where he learns how to pick a lock and you know, be able to go in. That might've been two episodes ago, but um, he will edit that in post. It was the last <laughs> episode. I, it was, a, you, I have not slept well. I have a cat with a kidney stone thing. So I wondered, as we have previously discussed, David is the heir to the ground round restaurant franchise fortune. Yes, he is. So did David cook the books? Oh. And is that why I went to, and is that why David never seems particularly worried that they're in debt? Maddie's always wearing debt, and David says it's always fine because in the back of his head, does he think, no, I can fix this on paper? Now, usually wow. when you cook the books, usually when you cook the books, you're trying to show a loss so you don't have to pay taxes or anything, or you're trying to hide money, but maybe David's trying to show inflated money so they get more investors. So maybe that's why David's never concerned about money because there's one we discovered, he comes. Okay, he's one as we have thought. He comes from the wealthy ground round of so many birthday parties, people. And two, it's okay. The books can be fixed at any point. Wow. And he can always make, he can always make the, company, the, the agency look profitable. But maybe because that, he went to jail. But as we've discussed, David, he hasn't learned his lesson. He's in the back of his head. I can do this again. <laughs> so when they are in the bed right before they go, David says the line, he looks at Maggie in sort of a flirty kind of way. Do you feel something? And Maggie goes, that's my nail file pressed against your ribs. I like that line. I like because it also is Maddie active. It isn't Maddie yeah. passive. And she isn't passive in any way as a character. But I like that. And I'm actually going to ask you, have you ever slept on a train? No. I mean, in an actual bed, not just passed out on you know, New no, Jersey transit, taking one. you the Secaucus line or whatever. Yeah. The I have. Okay. Overnight. And I will say it is a comfortable sleep. It is a nice, deep sleep, uh-huh. that, that rolling kind of feel. But if you're in the top bunk bed, like I was with my friend underneath, you strap yourself in. You are basically like Frankenstein strapped on the gurney. It is yeah, a strap, strap. Yeah. yeah. And initially it's like, oh, but it's when I did it, it was January. And I looked outside at one time and it was snowy. I was like, this is just beautiful. So if you get a chance, people sleep on a train. Just pay for your tickets so you don't be nervous like we would be. I paid for my tickets. I wasn't freaking out. Good job. (laughs) We pay for our things, people. If there's one takeaway we want you to know is we pay for it. And how do we do it? Because we need your sponsorship. So while this is going on, where they're getting stuck in the train, Agnes is having her own adventure because Agnes is a big person and she can do this. And she meets fellow passenger player Rodney. And Rodney is played by a character actor that I didn't quite remember his name, but if you look up Rodney on this episode, if you look up the name Vincent Schiavelli, you will notice he's been in everything. Yeah. You will recognize his face, a very tall man with very sad eyes. 
I mean, for Meyer, I remember as Mr. Vargas in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where the joke then was he had a remarkably attractive wife. He was the crazy ghost in Ghost. He was in Amadeus. He was in Night Shift, which I love. He was in Buckaroo Banzai. And he was in almost in an episode of almost every single show in the 80s and 90s, including this one. But there's another connection. Yeah. I don't mean to be leading you. There's another yeah, connection. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> uh, 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 no, no. He, is, he was, at the time of this episode, married to Alice Beasley. He was. So we were having a nice husband-wife acting moment. And we're going to assume at this point they were in the happy phase of their marriage. No, there's no report that they had a bitter breakup. We're not saying that, but they they broke up. And this episode will be flirty between the two of them in the most adorable way possible. To bring oh, back nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Agnes says a very funny line. That I think to show that she's nervous. My name is Agnes, but my friends call me Mr. Pesto. And I like that. That was yeah. a cute little line. And she's rhyming and he rhymes. He does rhyme with her. Because they have, yeah. I mean, that's how they, that's how they have a moment. And I don't know, is she still wearing her pink Jedi outfit hoodie? I think uh, I she don't... still is. Is she still in it? I, oh, I think you're right. You saw the episode she... this morning. I saw it yesterday. I, you're right. Something. She is still in it because I think she's still wearing it when she comes back to her room after this, after this interaction. So she comes back to the room. Manny and David are still arguing with each other. Whereas I said, I would have been peace screaming and they hear her come in. Cause she's looking around. Who is that? They say, Mr. Pesto. To which Agnes looks up to the sky and goes, Grandma? <laughs> which made which, me think, how formal of a family was that? Or it proves what she said to the guy isn't a joke. Yeah. My friends call me Miss DePesto. DePesto. So, My friends, loved ones. Loved ones, yeah. Every, anyone close to her? Close, because I was thinking, that is remarkably, remarkably formal, especially for an Italian family. There was, I did see an interview not too long ago. Uh, this, this always helps when I forget the name. Mike Birbiglia was on Jimmy Kimmel. Okay. And Mike Birbiglia was a new show that I think is coming on Netflix. Soon. And he says his family has never said, he says, I know my family loves me. They are caring family. There's nothing there. But they have never said, they don't say, I love you. And Jimmy Kimmel says, we're both Italian. And I got to say, it is actually impossible for my family not to say. They just won't <laughs> shut up about it. It says, are you sure you're Italian? And he says, no, at one point, my mom said, I love you. And my family's like, that's not a word, mom. <laughs> I like Jimmy Kimmel. It's like, how is that not happening? So I love you, Mr. Pesto. It's probably what happens at the Thanksgiving and Christmas when they're having the Christmas lasagna. Yeah. It does throw back to an earlier line when they say God or something. And I forgot, doesn't David, David looks up at some point. It's from him. It's from him, the letter from the murder train people. It's from him. And then he looks up at the sky. He took it with a capital H and he says, I thought he usually spoke through a burning bush. Yeah. She gets them out. She hits the button. They get out. They realize that the train is moving and now they're, they're on the train. The funny line for me here was when... Maddie looks out the window and says, we're moving. David says, do we have to? All my friends go to this school. I Great. love that line. So Great much. Line. I love that line because I even wrote that line down. That's a fantastic. And then later when he's saying, I didn't mean to do that. I forgot what the setup is. Maddie says, as she's about to say, I wasn't born yesterday. And David said, it's true. I had lunch with her yesterday. If she'd been born, I would have noticed. And that is a more structured line than the, but all my friends here, here line. Yeah, but it's still fun, and that's a line that's a 1940s kind of. It it is dialogue. fun. Here's, I didn't like it. <laughs> no, no, no. I understand Here's, why. So I do want to. I figured this was the line you were talking about. But I don't like this line because 
it would be better if he said it if if she had said i wasn't born yesterday when they're in front of all those people that were meeting with jb harland with agnes with agnes it doesn't work because she knows maddie like it doesn't fit the it doesn't fit it's a funny line but it bothered me but i was also looking out for the line because we had pre-seen like quotes from the episode and that was one of the quotes we saw and it bothered me that Agnes was the one that they did it with. That's it. Yeah, because it is actually that is a, really a good that line. is a comedy writer like analysis picking on a joke. It's a well written line. The audience of the joke bothered me, but that's yeah, no, nitpicky. I, it's a, it is a I, funny line. I thought I was a comedy writer, and I just failed right now. But <laughs> no, I real comedy writers would hate that. I'm plot. just saying professionals, Jez, not whatever you do. So they do, they stumble out because they're not leaving this train. And mm-hmm. they, and we finally meet our author, J.B. Harlan, Future Corpse. We should also him. point out that David at this point is just thrilled that they're stuck on this train. Like thrilled because Maddie's not going to go on that date he doesn't want her to go on. Just thrilled that they got stuck on this thing. He is, he is 11. Yeah. And to a degree, a spiteful 11 at this point. Yeah. Because he was not an 11 with means, <laughs> like an 11 <laughs> with the ability to affect things. Exactly. An 11 who makes an impact on other people's lives. <laughs> yeah. 11 year olds on the whole, nothing. Nothing. We're not knocking Gen Alpha, but nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, he was already not happy. He was teasing about it. Now he's happy about this. But I also think he's genuinely excited to be on a train. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming maybe he's like Agnes. Maybe. I know we all, people always say no one takes the train, no one takes the subway in L.A. People do take a train in L.A. But I got to imagine at some point they leave by train. Yeah. Or they've been on a train. I mean, maybe because you and I grew up in this area, we're used to like subways and such that trains are more common. But but he's just really happy. And I can understand that part. The being an asshole part. No. I will say every time I hear the name J.B. Harlan, it really sounds like well scotch. It's the lower scotch they're going to use in your drink <laughs> yeah. if you don't request something. Yeah. But here is another glimpse into how J.B. Harlan is just an ass. I like that what we're going to say next didn't become a bigger thing. I, I was worried that it would that it was going to be. Maybe so, it would have if he stuck around a little longer. That's possibly he was alive true. Just a that's true, longer. that's true. J.B. Harlan, we find out that along with the essay that Agnes sent in, she sent in a photo of her with all the people from the detective agency. Maybe it was just some of the people from the detective agency, because, yeah, because if, it, it if it was everybody, they'd have to get one of those drone shots with everybody out on a football field. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the, the panorama shot they made. Yeah. They would have stapled together a whole bunch yeah. of Kodak photos. You know. So just whoever was there for that first shift. That was <laughs> the so, head shift before the 90% <laughs> of the office pulled in. Yeah. So it's Agnes with David and Maddie and then a few other people from the office. And J.B. Harlan thought that Agnes DePesta was the the beautiful Sybil Shepherd Maddie person. In in the context of what people think. Yeah. So yeah, the model. He thought the model. Was, yeah. You could see he is very disappointed and he thinks he's made the wrong choice because he's an asshole. But here's the thing. I do like that when Maddie is doesn't know about the photo, looks at the photo with her, like, David, this is a cute one of all of us. And David's yeah. like, I want to think that. That was nice. Yeah. That was them as the family. That was them feeling together. 
And I think whereas David tries to go, David is pushing the will they or won't they. Maddie is not pushing the will they or won't they. Maddie just wants an effective agency and she wants to be around people she likes. Because Maddie, as we keep finding out, Maddie is, David I think does care for people. But Maddie is much more upfront about worrying about people and about caring about people and wanting people to be happy and wanting a nice environment. Otherwise, if she didn't care about people and she wasn't thinking about other people's feelings, she would have fired 400 employees of the agency. And that's how you go down from a seven digit. Yeah. But she doesn't do that because she's worried about them. I'm going yeah. to assume. And we meet the, the crew. And the so we're going to. The guests. What we're doing is we're going to, instead of doing it one at a time, like they do on the episode, we're going to talk about all of the people now, right? That's what we were doing. We are. And do nice. we want to discuss, do we want to discuss what their hidden problem is here as well? So we, yeah, can, we can speed through that. Yeah. All right. So first one, let's go with somebody we already met, which is Rodney Dillon which is Vincent Schiavelli, which is uh, Alec Beasley's real-life husband. And he is a forensic specialist who's also a technical advisor to J.B. Harlan. And he sees J.B. Harlan as a mentor. But there's a lot of problems here. Yeah, he hired him out of, like, forensic school, right? Like, immediately. And, and hired him to be his person that he runs ideas by, essentially. That's what we're supposed to think. Like, this guy that can can test any like theory or thing that he tries to do with poisons or sees if any of those things are factually or forensically sound. But the thing is, he basically has the guy, he has JB, essentially has Rodney come up with the concepts. Yeah. And Rodney writes the scenes to say, this is how it played out. And JB did not compliment him. He said he was angry when Rodney didn't give him a full description initially. And when Rodney gives him a full description, so written, JB doesn't say anything, but he uses it verbatim in the book. And as we come to realize, it's sort of Rodney who's writing these stories. It's more yeah. or less Rodney who's coming up with the concepts that aren't outright stolen, which we'll find out happened as well in a kind of macabre way. But also, it's, he sees JB, he says he sees JB as a mentor because he's writing his own book. But as David will point out later, if he was your mentor and he had all these connections, why didn't he do anything? He doesn't want him there. He he just want he's using him. Yeah. This guy is being used and JB is not really, JB is almost doing a, uh, just print your name at the top of the book. And now I'm forgetting the author who does that with everybody. It's the co-author. James Patterson. Does, James Patterson. There was a book I saw in the bookstore, which was James Patterson and Dolly Parton. It was not a mystery. And I'm thinking, I don't think Dolly needs you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm a Dolly fan. Dolly doesn't need shit. Dolly nah. really doesn't need anyone. Dolly is Dolly solid. I know a friend who does YA books and has James Patterson, and it's a smart move. It gets you on shelves. Yeah, I did find out because I want to say it's a good idea. It's a thought that okay, if you're a mystery writer, you probably do need to consult people. And I found a website where you get to ask for a price. Cops or various people five specific questions for a price. Oh wow! Get them about the policing procedure or something like that. And then uh, they'll do consultation and scene chapter. And I, I have a feeling the way this one, first of all, it's clearly England because I see the phone number and I also see the word constable coming up repeatedly. But also, I wonder if it's almost by the minute, like when you would call, like, remember we said a Miss Cleo hotline? That's all? Yeah. But you would call that up and it's like, so, uh, it's like when Homer calls the betting hotline. It's like, look, you know, I'm paying by the minute. Hurry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that is Rodney. So Rodney, however, also has his own lab. That lab is amazing on a train. On a train that it looks I like a mad scientist lab. It, but it but, looks like a slash but mad brought down 
to train car size. Go down to train car starter kid breaking bed kind of size. Yeah. I got to imagine he sets that up. And is J.B. Harlan such a demanding ass that he needs him at the lab at all times, that even during a game that he supposedly invited him to, he's going to pepper him with questions? Because I think he does. When you hear the guests he has and what he's done to them, you begin to wonder, why are you doing this murder train? I mean, obviously for your own sake, but do you just keep these people close so you can use them, but also let them know they are there by the grace of your goodwill? Mm-hmm. Because that is our J.B. Harlan. Bottom shelf, well scotch, J.B. Harlan. Our next guest is Janet McCall. Now, Janet is the CEO of Magic Night, a perfume company that almost hired Maddie as a spokesperson. Yeah, we could have been doing the Magic Night Detective Agency and it's not the Blue Moon. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's, not, it's not as good, let's be honest. Also. <laughs> because, yeah, Maddie, went, they, they, she dragged her feet and Maddie went to uh, Blue Moon instead. So, Janet and JB once lived together. And mm-hmm. Janet clearly still holds a torch for JB, but JB gave one drunken proposal, nothing real. Mad was, on Cavassier. Diana, I, it was so specific. <laughs> I guess it's supposed to show what level he is. That I mean, he wouldn't drink his own well scotch named after him that we now assume is a real yeah. thing. What we're going to say is, Kevin and I are going to be sponsored by JB oh. Scotch. From now on, it's it, we're going to have ads from the Los Angeles Tribune and JB Harlan Scott. I, th- I think I think we got. It's going to be like ninety-seven takes later. It's good. <laughs> it's good. It's good scotch. So, so Janet Janet gets proposed to by JB, and he's super drunk, and she amazingly doesn't want him to be drunk when she asks like she has the pride in herself that she wants him to really love her and not just drunkenly love her which is pretty it's pretty good it is good and the issue is that essentially for jb she ages out of his interest yeah because he's not great later which maybe we can touch later she actually has a really good monologue and I actually want to talk about it later because it's actually a good monologue. It's she nice... does not put down that glass of liquor the oh, whole God. episode. It is up just near her face, just off to the side level. while she talks. It doesn't spill, but it's always sloshing. <laughs> it is amazing. Yeah, she's she's a practice enough drinker that she's not going to spill it. But she's always at the edge of tipsy that it is sloshing. And it is always bottom lip level. It is ready to be consumed. She doesn't put it down point. when they're over JB's corpse. She is still <laughs> holding that liquor next to her face while she is bothered mildly by his death. Because none of them are, but we'll get to that. Well, none of them are, but she is, just like Skylar, who we're going to mention in a second, always has a cigarette at hand. Yeah. And she... Also, she found out that she said, in her term, she had to bully for a ticket she to get yeah. on the train. She, JB wasn't even going to invite her. I don't know who else JB would have invited because I'm assuming JB doesn't have a lot of friends. I'm assuming JB doesn't no, have this friends. No, this is it. The these sense, are the people. This is, yeah. These are the people who are in, have been put in a position or have been put in a dynamic with an awful man that they can't quite see leaving it yet. Because of one reason or another, he has bullied them into believing that this is their functioning relationship with them. We're yeah. not even making jokes at this point. This no, is exactly what it, it is. Yeah. So now we're going to go to Skylar Cantrell. Now Skylar Cantrell, we're going to is the worst. He's the worst, and the I will. I'm going to spoil it. He is not the killer, but I wanted him to be. 
I oh, wanted right. him to go away for life. He, he, is, he is so, this is not English language, he is so best at being exactly what it is that it does make you, there's a line my dad used to do when he'd watch it. My dad used to get upset at every character on the show. He would say this line, it's like, he makes you hate him so much you wish he died. Now, my yeah. dad would say this even in a tertiary character in The Simpsons, so this <laughs> covered a lot of ground. But to your point, Skylar Cantrell, we have to assume the one character note was the word bitchy underlined yeah. six times and then highlighted both in neon yellow and neon green. That was it. And they gave it to actor Leonard Frey, who was in the movie version of Fiddler on the Roof. I believe he is the son who gets married off. And the villain, and what I'm going to say, was a really, my entire family liked a really, really short-lived comedy western called Best in the West. He was the villain, and he was this villain. Yeah, this is, he is he, smarmy. He smarmy, bitchy. Yeah. Every line is, no, granted, dripping. Every, li- every line is dripping. <laughs> every line has been dipped in poison. And every line also, beautifully bitchy, I can see the person writing it. Because yeah. you can't imagine someone saying this without being repeatedly slapped. They would have slapped the cigarette out of his hand or lips at any point. But he is, he's just full on bitchy. Yeah. But he, he does bitchy well to the point yeah, that. Yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah. And it's an effective do. character. So we are dealing with tropes as far as characters are yeah, concerned. Yeah, these are all tropes. But that makes sense. You got 40 something yeah. minutes. It's a tight thing. It's a tightly mm-hmm. written. So I don't find fault in that whatsoever. And then our last character is Sebastian Rhodes. Now, as you say, we are going with tropes here. So Skylar Cantrell is tall and thin, vest, well put together. Uh, Rodney Dillon, it looks like the absent-minded professor kind of thing, mm-hmm. always wearing a lab coat. Janet McCall, always drink in hand. She's yeah. the she's the scorned woman, drink in hand. And Sebastian Rhodes, in this trope that they set up, is chubby guy. Yeah. And he is a chef. And we find out he's a chef because they really work it in quickly, which makes sense. Because he says, when David says his name, David Addison, the chef says, oh, that's a good name. That's really easy to put on a cake. And the first question that came to, he- to my mind was, and this is not the crucial question given everything we're learning about, because it makes no sense in any regard, was, is it? <laughs> I mean, is it the loops on the Ds? Is it? A- do, you, do you find that to be a really easy name for a cake? You, no. You've written cakes for your daughter for birthdays. I have. I have written yeah. cakes. No. You know what's a really good name for a cake? Kevin Tor. That's perfect. You can fit that on it. You can fit that. You know what's really not a good name for a cake? Francesco Marcelliano. Yeah. You need like you seven. Got, you need seven cakes. Just gotta you got to work your way across the bottom just, of all. Just a series of sheet cakes. <laughs> but this is how we find out he's a chef. I'm going to say Janet's story is sad. Skylar's story, which we didn't touch upon Skylar's story. We he has go gambling debts that he can't get out from under. And he was hoping that JB would give him the money to get rid of those debts. And he doesn't. It's worse that he doesn't. JB laughs at him and says he wants yeah. to see him dangle in the window. Yeah. Now, Skylar gets out of his debts. Do we want to jump ahead this far to the Skylar? Well, here's my here's the thing that I was coming up with. This is basically the board game Clue. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, there's, because there's... because you even have the different people. So Miss Scarlet is Janet. And then Professor Plum is Rodney. And then Miss White or whatever, the cook servant is your Sebastian. And then your Mr. Green or whatever businessman guy is Skyler. And then and then the military man, Colonel Mustard, is basically JB because he's running the show. And then and then where it falls apart is Miss Peacock, which has to be Agnes just because she's wearing blue. I don't know. 
but but I had it I had it all working, and then I get to Peacock, and it's like, oh, she's blue. She's wearing blue. I I mean, not that this needs to be said, but I really like that. Yeah. That is, I I like that a lot, and it does. And there's a good chance they thought about that when it could be, yeah, because these are tropes, and you know, it's the the weapon. It's we're gonna just we'll prove to be a knife, which is more on the standard side, but knife is one of the weapons in Clue. Yep, it would have been really good if uh, wrench. <laughs> Where are you going to find one on a train? Especially, you know who'd, find, who'd have a wrench? The engineer. You can't get to the engineer. Can't get to him. He's padlocked in some way padlocked. that neither one could get out. Like, if he's padlocked from the outside, they could get him out. So he padlocked himself in, and I guess he just can't hear through the door. He's probably swallowed the key. That man's going <laughs> to die in that train, is what we're saying. By the way, during this whole ride, 24 hours, they do keep abreast of the time. It isn't actually a 24 hour and they forget the time. It I is will say they show. do that terribly, they but do I don't it. know how. I don't know how we're moving forward. I don't know how we're moving forward from this point. But those are our those are our potential people who did it. These are, so Skyler asks for money. Skyler gets the money because his dad dies. His wealthy dad dies, and he mm-hmm. dies in a way that's similar to one of the books, and to the point that they think Skyler killed his dad. Turns out his dad died in a hot tub. Turns out the book JB or probably more to the point, Rodney, started writing the book after the death. He used this yeah. guy's father's death, which is, that's a, yep. that's a good, that's a good, this person's a crappy individual thing. Sebastian, despite all this, and especially, okay, it's close with Janet, because Janet is sad, and she has a really good, I don't know, Sebastian is a very sad character. Yeah. He's there, so JB gets free cooking. To the point that I don't think JB even buys the food. I think no, so he. I think this. he just provides the food and feels like he belongs by providing the food. But he had him because Sebastian says no. He was my friend. Later on, he invited me to his party. And Skyler, it is a bitchy thing to do, but Skyler says something at the end that doesn't make it as bitchy. Because Skyler's like, he invited you to that party and he treated you like the help. You cooked all the food. And he never looked you in the eye and he never said it as friend because JB was a horrible person and he did this to all his friends, which saves that line. Yeah. Because Skyler is being remarkably upfront and cruel, not purposely cruel, but he's making a point that it, he actually almost says at the end, it's almost a way of telling Sebastian, it's not your fault. Yeah. He doesn't know if he killed him, but it's not your fault. So we have set it up. We have all yeah. our blue players. We uh, everything's been put in the little manila envelope into the center of the board. Yeah, I always loved that manila envelope. I love that tiny manila. That was <laughs> so they they find JB murdered, which we already said, but he's murdered in Agnes's room. That's where they yeah. find the body. Then for our first misdirect, he reeks of magic night perfume, which they didn't smell until. <laughs> Like they're in the room, everybody's casual around the dead JB because he's a garbage human being. So they were yeah. all they were all happy about it. And then when it's time to deal with it, Maddie has to get close and say, I mean, upfront, yeah, really close, really close to the body. It says, oh, he really smells of he reeks he reeks of magic night perfume. And First everybody's says, like, oh yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Just, that's, that's true. how I didn't acknowledge in any way. What she does, she leans and says, something smells, and David goes, oh, God, not already. And then he yeah. says, a freezer. Now, he was saying because the body was rotting. But when he first said, oh, God, not already, the joke that popped in my head, which actually I enjoy more, not because I came up, because I thought they had come up with it, 
that maybe the corpse had already the bowels had already loosened up and he shit yeah, yeah. and he shit because that's what happens. And I thought that was the joke they were going for until he said freezer. Before he said freezer, I paused and said, "Well, that's a really good joke. They got the corpse disembowelled." Uh, and then I said, "No, nah, that wasn't it." Before they examine the body, Maddie, what right before she walks up to the body, says. In reaction to I don't remember what says David, I just don't think. And he cuts her off and says, that's OK. You look good. And and then continues to revel in his amazing joke and, and move the scene along while right behind him, Sybil Shepherd is owning the reaction like she sees it. She hears it again in her head. She plays it back. She gets offended. It's all in her face if you look in the background. And it's great. Like, it's not a good joke. It's not a good joke by David. It's just one where it's like the writers decided, oh, we could stop her and say this funny thing instead of David doing it. Right. We we need something to move the scene forward in the way we want. We need a joke. But it is salvaged by Sybil Shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, you're absolutely right. She does a fantastic job in that regard because I'm assuming that's the line you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Like you said there was a, yeah, it's, it's an awful line. It is an awful, awful line. Yeah. It's terrible. But yeah. she sells it by the way she is in the behind David. Like, I don't even know what David did after he said the line because I was stuck on Sybil Shepherd. Like, I, I don't know if he's on people's shoulders because the line was so great and everybody's high fiving him. <laughs> I, I don't know. But Sybil Shepherd was selling it for doing me the in the back. With, you know, plug, running down the line, doing yeah, everything. Yeah. Because Sybil Shepherd, and we've seen this a lot of things, her eyes are fantastic yeah. in this episode. She does a lot of. It's not Scott when she gets angry, but she's actually able to do different levels of anger and different stare downs and different reactions. She, I mean, I don't, we, when they think Moonlighting, a lot of it is always about Bruce Willis and he don't, he, he owns it. He, he's, he's fantastic in this series. And this is not a character that would have been easy played. And, and most people's thing, as we discussed before, had it been either uh, the one from Beretta or what we just said, Robert Durst. Had it yeah. been <laughs> the jinx. Neither of those would have been able to do that. So they they the, the body smells like magic night and yeah. and so they decide that they're gonna go check Janet's room for more evidence to prove that it was Janet that killed JB. So they all yeah, run down there and start ripping apart her room. Yeah, I mean, and, and so that's her. when Janet gets her nice monologue. I actually have a question. Okay. Before JB was whacked. Who was supposed to be the corpse? I was thinking that the whole time, too. It's like, what was this mystery supposed to be the math originally? Work. Yeah. Was the corpse going to be the engineer who eventually dies in his <laughs> <Yeah>. bad <bathroom? laughs> But all it was was the players, JB. I'm assuming JB was not going to be the corpse because JB's got to oversee it and enjoy and chuckle at his mastery of a game that I'm going to. I guess Rodney couldn't make it because he's part of it. Was JB is just going to turn like a most dangerous game and he was just going to shoot them in the dining car <laughs> or just hunt them down? Uh, but what's also fun is two things. One, the other participants. JB is not having the fact that David and Maddie are there, especially once he finds out Maddie is not going to be his love interest. This is right. when, this is living JB. But the other people, even Skylar, seem kind of pleased or not put off because Skylar says, just get them a room. Yeah. Because... But especially when you see Sebastian, really happy to have actual detectives. To them, yeah. this is them spending detectives. And their whole, the way they rush in to Janet's room and just start tearing apart, the way they're expected detective, the way they're asking questions, it's almost like a precursor to what is now, to true crime bros. 
Mm-hmm. It's almost a precursor to, you know, only murders in the building, just getting upset and then finally getting to deal with a. It's actually like, oh, it's getting to deal with a real crime. And I thought, especially early on, as we discussed, I was going to say off camera, but hey, it says, because you had brought up this point, even by this point, everything has been done that you're expecting things. And it's all about the characters and how they do it and how they present it. So all this has been done, but I like how it comes together. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of. Murder on the train, you've got murder on the Orient Express. Except in this yep. case, it isn't everybody who kills them. If I have room murder on the Orient Express, trust oh, me, I've it is an old... It. The book was is decades old. No. Nah. Right. Not good enough. <laughs> not only that, but they all, once they get naked, you realize they're a man. No. Uh, how many <laughs> movies am I going to destroy? From I'm not even sure that, how many... You ruined Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to come up with another one and I couldn't match that. So well done. Skylar says a bitchy line because Janet is here. Janet is the one who at least has the most reaction. Yeah. She says, we're quipping over this body. He's dead. Now, Skylar, I'm going to say as a quip, it's great. But you you want someone to smack him. Skylar's like, face it, Janet. The prom ended for you and JB years ago. It's like, yeah, yeah. That's a reminder for character setup. I understand the line. It's actually a good typed line. I see the screen right at that point. Skyler. So, so at this point, they realize that uh, everybody's real heated. Yeah, it's it's not a good scene. So they're they Maddie and David call for a truce, and we'll wait till morning till cooler heads prevail. And what we'll do in the meantime is we'll all angry people sleep together, cramped in one train car. <laughs> and I understand it makes sense why. Yeah, no, but it's a hilarious scene. And as you mentioned, in 4-3 ratio, it's really cramped. Yeah. You got to put everyone in that little, uh, you know, Instagram box kind of framing. When they had the conversation earlier, they were talking about all the accusations because Maddie pulls David out, said, we got to keep it up. We, we can't let this happen. They're going to go wild. They're all going to attack each other. They can't let this go on. And David's like, oh, it's going to be fine. She's like, but what about Agnes? It would happen in her room. You have to worry because David is being flippant. When he mentions yeah. Agnes, that they'll be fine. And then he goes, do you think I'm heartless? David, it's one of those character things that I don't know if the writers mean it or not, but David is kind of showing he has to be this way as a defense mechanism because mm-hmm. he can't get too similar. Maybe because you never know at what point he's going back to jail for cooking the books for ground round. <laughs> but they agree. It's like, OK, we're going to be on top of this at this point. The other people have also go, we need someone. We, we're all, they all consider themselves really good detectives. They don't really show great detective yeah. work, to be quite honest. But they all, and they realize, okay, we need someone who doesn't have a connection, who can monitor. And David steps up and drags Maggie along with him. But when they say, we look back, say, okay, let's go back. And she's David, which is a line I like. Let's go back to episode 88 of Dynasty and see if things have calmed down a bit. <laughs> which is a TV character line. And in the context of Moonlighting Works. And that's when they all cram in and sleep together. And as this is where we get our first bit of train math for how long they've been on the train for me. So they, but, oh, and sorry. I apologize. No, no, yeah. I'm so sorry. I, this is, yeah. I didn't mean to be rude. When they are in Janet's room, tearing apart, Janet does have her monologue before, before they all go to bed, Janet right. has their monologue. And it's basically in her kind of the context is women are the one who are left. Now, granted in some way you could go, okay, that's, you know, that's, that's a gender kind of old fashioned kind of way. But another way it is, about the casual cruelty that happens in relationships mm-hmm. where it's not like someone goes out to hurt someone. Someone doesn't think they could hurt someone. Someone doesn't take the time to think what their actions are. 
They just take their action and don't think there's a ripple effect. And it's a kind of beautiful. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's a beautiful speech where at that point you're going, well, I really hope it's Skylar because I don't want it to be Janet. And if it is <laughs> Janet, I really get it that it's Janet yeah. and she shouldn't go to jail. But it's a beautiful speech that doesn't happen a lot in this show because it's a comedy. Someone took time writing that piece and I liked it. Next morning, Janet has been doing a little detective work and she has Janet found somehow me. snuck out of that room without kicking or touching anybody <laughs> it's like that game remember there was that plastic tube and it had all the sticks and you had to move the stick yeah, without the ball plunk. dropping there's no that was kerplunk there's no way she could have pulled out there's no way yeah. she could have pulled the brick out and not have the jenga t- pile of people collapse third game that i can't think of the rule of three uh but she comes in don't wake dad isn't there a game where you have to can't wake your dad it was don't the, wake daddy don't wait oh because they wanted to make it softer yeah if we had a non animal intern i wouldn't have had to look that up but i looked it up <laughs> he blame her but you know you've got another week writing this kidney stone issue and then after that you got to start performing because we need that urinary tract money so janet finds the murder weapon then they decide to have it dusted for prints right now she finds it in skylar's room oh that's right they go to skylar's room but in his shaving before, kit which is oh, go ahead sorry before that we have the train math that I was trying to work out. So they said when JB was killed that we've been on this train for two hours. We have 22 hours to solve this murder. Then they go to Janet's room and ransack it. I'm going to give that one more hour. At the most. At the most. Because they went straight there. Yeah. (laughs) And And then. And they're small rooms. They're small rooms. Yeah. Then when they wake up and they're walking to Skylar's room, Maddie says to David, we have eight hours left to solve this. So that means oh God, that they, they slept 13 hours. They slept 13 hours in that cramped room together. <laughs> they were able to sleep for more than half a day in a room where they weren't even on pillows. They were sleeping on each other's thighs. Yeah. And one of them is a murderer. <laughs> they slept one of them is murderer. soundly 13 hours. <laughs> they, they are wondering who the killer is, and yet... Easy sleep. And yet they all drank a bottle of NyQuil and just called, <laughs> yeah. it a, called it half a day. So the math doesn't work up for who the corpse is supposed to be. And the math doesn't work up for the time yeah. of the train. The They should have had the little clock in the corner going on. They off. also, af- after they check the murder weapon, we'll get to Skylar's room. But when they check the murder weapon for Prince, that's four and a half hours. It takes them four and a half hours not to... Not to figure out the prints. To get everybody's fingerprints, it took four and a half hours. Even we wouldn't kill that time, depending <laughs> on how much we ramble in this podcast. Even yeah. we'd be able to do this faster. Next morning, Janet got up and says she found a knife. She found it in Skylar's room. And in his shaving kit, David does the joke, tough beard. The thing is here, at least the characters are being smart enough for the thing. Because Skylar's like, yeah, you could have put that in there, which is easy. Anyone could have put anything anywhere. It's like to the point earlier, they're all in charge of all the evidence and they're all being detectives. They need someone to take the lead who is supposedly David and Maddie. But it's kind of hard because you got chickens running everywhere. They do the fingerprint. Everyone takes a fingerprint. Now, the only one that we see, because there's no reason to show everybody, we'll we'll get to Maddie and uh, Agnes having a really nice scene. 
We actually have two they, nice scenes. They both together. have nice scenes there. Yeah. It's like David is the basically the dad telling Rodney to treat his treater treater right. Yeah. Because Rodney <laughs> wants to know if they were yeah. an item and if he was stepping on any toes. And Maddie is giving good advice to Agnes. They're having like a nice chat. Yeah. I mean, and part of Maddie's advice is like, yeah, I'm the model. I'm the one that, you know, the thing, but that doesn't mean anything. When David is getting his fingerprints done. Okay. Rodney says, wow, you're really good at this. Most people usually smudge the prints. He's like, I've had practice. Prison! Yep. No, yeah. I think the prison thing's starting to take take hold. Oh, Whether or man. not I had to do a cooking the books for ground round, we because that's our thing, and it's canon in, in this podcast. Yeah, like even if they don't actually come out by the end of watching this and say that he's the heir to the ground round fortune, just a little, a little knowing nod from Gordon... Gary, Karen, I don't know his name, but the guy who is, created the show. It is I'm close. Days. I'm very close. Yeah, you are close. Yeah. Just a knowing nod from him will let us know that we're good. That's all I you need. Know, he, he can just send us a note. Yeah. You know, we won't shred that one. No. I'm assuming you'll be. I'm keeping an eye out, out now. <laughs> because we're in episode five of our podcast, and I believe we've made the necessary connections and strides in our I, podcast I, empire. So they do the fingerprints. Uh, while they're waiting for the results for the fingerprints, they. They do the thing to accuse Sebastian because they haven't officially accused him. Oh, they found the the bloody shirt. Agnes screams for a third time. Third time. That's the law of three That's screams. And she finds a bloody Sebastian's bloody shirt because they apparently all brought a lot of luggage. Yeah. And apparently, you know, and found it in the trash under a couple of papers. So clearly it was yeah, got to hide it to be found. Yeah. You got to yeah. hide it, but you get, it's got to be found. Yeah, I'm going to say logically that doesn't work. It's a train. I don't know how many trash cans that was kind of luck. So they must they must have put it near. They must have put it in Agnes. Everything was going to happen in Agnes's room because they made one set. And I understand yeah. that. But they found that. And that's when we learned about how he was used as a chef. Which and we talked about. Here's a question. Go back. We, <laughs> not, we know already Rodney has this lab. And yeah. when they're going over everything. And now it's either been 18 hours, a week and a half. We don't know mm-hmm. the time on this yeah. train. The Rodney, I mean, we're like minute 40, which makes me think hour 21 and a half, 22, because we're closing in. Because by the time this is wrapping up, it's 15 minutes. By the way, to speak of time, there's another time issue that happens even after the train. The Rodney, after all this, after 20 something hours, maybe 22 hours, goes, I've got a fingerprinting kit, which just sounds like something he should have said the moment they found the knife, (laughs) the moment there was a weapon at all, the moment. Before they start shredding everything, I have a. It's sort of like saying all this happens, and once everyone has gotten off the train, going, oh wait, I forgot, I film everything. The test. He yeah. does the fingerprint test. We're going to talk about the peas. We do have to talk about the peas. We also have to say, when Sebastian is learning from uh, Skyler during that scene when this is happening, we see Agnes with a pad writing things down. Yeah. We see. We have learned at the beginning of this episode. She reads murder mystery books. She reads murder mystery magazines. It's a good way to go. Why is she there as a character? Because this is what she loves. Yeah. She loves mystery. So it's nice. It's nice to really ground the characters why they're there. We understand why Maddie's there because of the financial thing. And she needs us to work. And she actually likes and cares the people in the thing. We understand why Agnes is there. David, I, I don't know how much he's going to be the cipher. I mean, one, it's a job and jobs are nice. And two, when, when push comes to shove, he's good at this. But he is also the heir to the ground round fortune. So while they're waiting for him to come back with the fingerprint results, they say that one of them says they're not hungry. And then 
Agnes says that she's hungry for a glazed ham, baby yams, and peas. Such an 80s meal, by the way. It's, it's yeah. one of those things that would appear at the restaurant that clearly uh, Maddie was going to go to. So Maddie said that she used to eat all the peas on her plate because she didn't want any of the peas to be lonely, which is like such a a way of saying her personality through peas. And you're like, all right, well, what's David going to say? Because it could be anything. We've learned he could say anything. But what he chooses to say, and here's your serial killer line, he says he would cut them in half to hear them scream. <laughs> that was dark. Really dark. Really yeah. oddly dark. It's like, I mean, that I don't, stood David out. can say anything. Like, they have created a character who could just say anything. It doesn't have to be based on who he is as a person. Yeah. Anything could come out of his mouth. He's a quip machine, and once you do that, he starts to border on sociopathic. Yeah. What I like, remember, Maddie is a model. Yeah. And Maddie's story was how she ate the food. It wasn't how I had to make sure I yeah. didn't do that. I know that's adding more than necessary, but it was just like, that's nice. She ate five peas, just. <laughs> I'd like to think it was a can. I like to think she'd run into a closet with a spoon and just go to town. Just, just break open that jolly green giant and just, and then later have the glazed ham with the yams. This is one of the few episodes we don't wind up in a restaurant. But we're going to assume Maddie was going to go to one anyway, with the heavy cloth yeah. and everything oh, no. again. Yeah. And it, it is a good chance. Ham and yams, ham and yams, which actually also sounds like it could have been a detective series in the 80s, a part of detective. <laughs> Jeffrey Ham and Robert exactly. Yams. One would, one would have the name, the surname Ham. The other one would have Yamovich something. So his oh, nickname that's true. would be yeah, Yam. Yeah, yeah. So you have to do the ham and yam. And it would be 11 episodes and even CBS would be going, what are we doing here, people? Come on. So Rodney comes back with the results and says that it was Agnes. And Agnes uh, is like, Okay. <laughs> Ag- Agnes. I guess I did it. <laughs> because later when she's nervous, she keeps writing. Yeah, yeah. Which makes me think that's what happens when she's out. And say, you and I, had we been on the train and we didn't have a ticket and we were worried, that would be the time we yeah. would rhyme as our nervous ticket. So much rhyming. So, so much, much rhyming. I, but again, I wouldn't have rhymed and trapped in the train. I just would have been screaming and peeing. But which I assume is what the engineer is doing, padlocking a thing that he can't get out no matter what. That I hope he gets remarkably paid, and he's not gonna. You know why? JB's dead. <laughs> I'm beginning to. At some point, I thought, is JB dying to get out of his whatever debts he's in? And is Maddie going? This may be our only way out of insolvency <laughs> if we all fake our own death. So I Agnes, think- Agnes is worried because she's gonna go to prison for a very long time for something she didn't do, and so David has to now solve the case, and he does. But what in I his like head. about this in his head, well. He always puts it together as he goes. He's like, I got it. And then figures it out on the walk. It's like the elevator pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Like when you get on the elevator, you figure it out and then you pitch it. Because when Maddie's saying, what is it? What is it? At that point, I'm wondering, does he have it or does he have a way out of it? But what I like in that scene where she's going, you've done all you can. Please visit me in the big house. (laughs) You know, you've done all you can. It's like David makes a joke. It's like, well, we still need to get you a lawyer. You know, you need a good lawyer, which is like, David, not now. She's she's afraid she's going to go to prison. Don't joke about her needing a lawyer. What I like is that she takes off her necklace, her valuable jewelry, because she knows they're going to take it in prison. They're going to put it in a bag and name it, and it's going to go there. And I I think she wants Maddie to have her jewels because Agnes is pretty certain, although clearly she knows she didn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Agnes is such an innocent that I guess, I mean, 
that's not a fair thing to say. It's not a nice thing to say in a way, but the way she's portrayed it, that I guess she's going, well, this is the way of the world. It would be rude to say no. If they took the time <laughs> to finger you for a crime, who are you? Mom always said the world will chew you up and spit you out, Agnes. And, no, no. and bless her heart, I guess she was right. <laughs> Mom, Mom always said, listen, Mr. Pesto. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> this is how the world works it's a cruel place and if you ever find a place that's warm that has a sandwich guy and a working bathroom never leave that office always stay there forever we get the sandwich guy later mr sandwich that's mr sandwich see <laughs> we we're going to assume that is actual his name because we like to think that's his name yeah. mr sandwich so so david is gonna go tell everybody who really the killer is so that agnes doesn't have to willingly go to jail <laughs> which is a nice thing yeah it's, it's thoughtful and then we find out that which everyone has known all along that rodney because he had all his ideas stolen and would know how to frame people good enough for a murder mystery novel <laughs> did it he gets the murder weapon and puts it to agnes's sort of side of her face because it's his wife and he doesn't really want to do it he doesn't want to really be yeah i will say in these mystery shows there are there is often very often in fact twice played by the same character jack cassidy sean cassidy and david cassidy's dad a murder mystery writer and the murder mystery writer is always an asshole and it happened in Colombo, as I said, and I'm beginning to wonder how often it maybe happened in Murder, she wrote. Who knows how many times oh, someone was muttering yeah. in the background in Cabot Cove, why won't you <laughs> die already behind Jessica Fletcher's back? But here, it's weird because, you know, it's a show, which means it is written, obviously. I'm not trying to break new ground here. It is interesting that, one, the murder mystery guy is an asshole. So the only thing the writers go, we can write it just as well as a murder mystery guy, the writers of the episode. But the one who was smart enough to almost put it together is the writer. The writers like to have the writer as the smart one, even if they have to, you know, get him in trouble. But David says, I wiped it clean before I gave you the knife. And that's when he realizes he's screwed. That's when he throws the knife and the guy takes it. But then Skyler does something. He knocks the little hand. I was the most casual. Yeah. Yeah, he did it. He he, he stepped up to the plate without letting go of his cigarette or getting up. But he stepped up, you know, and the guy runs off. And then David says to Maddie, wipe that. It's got Mr. Pesto's fingerprints all over, which is funny. It's... Yeah, he, he knew that the guy was the killer and he bluffed him. Now, what they find out as they're trying to find him, killer's got a gun. Because as we discussed, every character, whether you're a charlatan psychic, whether you are an assassin, where it kind of makes more sense, where you are a chemical engineer, you are packing. And now we're going to have a top of the train chase because we haven't had a chase in a while. And that's such a classic old yeah. film noir that I, that I was happy to see. Like, you have to have this. Yeah. It wasn't much of a chase. They it really just got on top of the train. They didn't follow each other or jump cars. They got on the top of the train. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you were hoping for the pre-credit sequence from Skyfall, that wasn't going to happen here. No. We get another Maddie is super strong moment. Because David almost falls and out of the one of the window in the back of the train, because it has to be the caboose, she holds him his full weight as he's upside down and then pulls him back up. That's a lot. Yeah. We're not saying David's a heavy guy, but David's a full-grown adult, despite what he does. Although we have and, established that David is a child. 
and Maddie has to mother him a lot. And mothers have been known to lift a car off their babies. <laughs> that is true. That is that, that mother, and, which, by the way, now that we've set up that parallel, is really going to screw up so many stories. Uh, you're going to love it when, really, when yeah. mama and baby get it on. You're going to love that moment. <laughs> If you have problems with it, it's not our fault. But if you want to discuss it, either discuss it in a comment section of our, you know, the, the end bill. Yeah. Or write it on nice, good, solid stock paper. So they get on top of the train. And for the first time in any of the moonlighting chase scene things, Maddie isn't in her high heels. She kicked good. them oh, off I didn't spot so that she could more easily maneuver being on top of a train. I mean, okay. she, she scaled the side of the building on the, in high heels in the pilot. But on the top of the train, she took them off. I mean, we, we believe that had the wind taken her off the train, she would have been able to fly back. Because we are bordering <laughs> really superheroic powers here. Or at least through magnetism, bring the train back to her so she lands quietly on top of it. So what happens in any movie or TV show where you're on top of a train, a tunnel has to come. Contractually, the tunnel union... <laughs> You can't get away with it. You got to yeah, have a tunnel. They're, they're bigger than the Teamsters. They yeah. have they're, the mobs involved with the tunnel union. It's, it's, yeah. So there's a tunnel behind the guy. And they're like, turn around. The tunnel is very far away at this point. And, and Maddie and David are crouched at gunpoint from probably 10 feet, at least, yeah. away from Rodney with the gun. And they're saying, Rodney, there's a tunnel. And Rodney doesn't buy it. And Rodney has plenty of time to quickly look behind him. And the, tr the tunnel just keeps getting closer. He had plenty of time. Before all that, Rodney takes out the gun and tells David, you don't know when to quit, do you, Addison? David looks like, yes, I do. He turns to Maddie. Let's go back down, which is fun. But <laughs> yeah. it's, again, every episode, there's that moment in a case when David says, no, we're going to die. We got to drop this. He does at the last second. We assume, because it really looked like it, was, it took off his head the way it does. Yeah. And they're all on top of one another. David's pinning him down because David always has to pin someone down. But Maddie's also pinning him down. They're both. Yeah. It's a tag team pin down. Well, they got to get him in the shot. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone's got to fit in that 4-3 frame. David gets the gun and just shoots it. And says, the sky, just into the sky like a cowboy. At that moment, and that ties in well with the title of our podcast, all I could think of, it was like a precursor to Bruce Willis and Die Hard Car and Yippie Kaye motherfucker. Yeah. With a gun. Because this is Mooney's Never Say Die Hard people. We assume he gets arrested. We're back in the, the end sequence. It's not have David. It's Maddie and Agnes again. We don't get to see the Los Angeles Tribune headline about the murder, which is weird because this is a very famous, supposedly, murder mystery who apparently has been writing for years. What we find out already, and this is I'm, this is a time dilation kind of thing, a bizarre thing, because I'm assuming this is the next day at most, that he's already been charged, put on trial, found guilty, and sentenced to 30 years, sentenced to such detail that Agnes even knows how many it is for good behavior. This yeah. happened within 11 hours. I don't know what 1985 Los Angeles judicial <laughs> system was like. But that they don't have I mean, any cases either. It's just like yeah. Blue Moon. There's a judge sitting there going, Bailiff, we need a case, guys. We need a case to keep this courtroom going. Ford hitting a, a Motown tune with his gavel, singing along like David would in the same situation. It's nice. It's a nice scene with Agnes and Maddie about yeah. dating. It is also the longest of the closing scenes. Yeah. Normally, it's just a quick joke and a freeze. And, and we, find nice. out the, we find out the sandwich guy's name is Neil. So he's Neil Sandwich. So Agnes is kind of questioning, so I shouldn't wait for Rodney, right? And I remember Maddie, well, he did try to frame you for murder. And it's like, I know being single is hard, but there are other choices. And it's a nice reminder that maybe you don't go with a murderer. 
We could find out that she actually just ends up sending him letters once a week on nice 90-pound vellum paper like we're <laughs> going to get from Wildlife and from anyone else who wants to talk to us. <laughs> titled, titled, Why Rodney is the Best Prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> With a photo and they're still confused who's writing it because it's the entire staff all over again. In fact, it's actually the second unit director, the guy who's handling sound for the series. It's actually a cast photo of the show itself. Background crew, the whole deal. I really like this episode. It was very nice. It yeah. did. It was very nice. And I'm looking forward to seeing how, what is next episode? Because usually we already mm-hmm. have this in our the back title. Pop- the oh. title is called The Murders in the Mail. What prop was in Planet Hollywood uh, or would go into Planet Hollywood? I, the knife doesn't do it for me. I'm going to say. The lab? <laughs> the I'm going to say the photo of Agnes and all of them in the office. That's a nice one. I want to I'm going to say yes. I like that one. That's a nice because I like the dialogue around it. I like yeah. seeing it. I again, it must have been before the entire staff showed up. Yeah. Or maybe they forgot to show up or maybe they all weren't invited because they could only buy so much cake for 400 people. I'm not even going to offer another choice because I really like that one. That's sweet. I know we weren't going to say what the plot of the next episode is, but the very first the first six words that I'm not going to go past so that we don't know everything. This is going to shock you. I'm leaning in, people. You can't tell, but I'm leaning in chin on a chin on fist. Go. David gets the agency a job. Wow. David contributes. <laughs> is this going to be like he knew this person? You're going to find out. As it's you the guy he shares person. the alley with. <laughs> exactly. Or like that trope. It was like an old army buddy used to be like a trope from back then. Yeah, it's, it's the one that they live behind the Chinese restaurant. That's so, apparently so let's, let's go over our all our running things. We have okay. Maddie is a superhero, super strength person. David is the heir to the ground round fortune. David doesn't actually live anywhere. <laughs> he, lives in, he lives in a netherworld. David also might have been in prison. David might have been in prison. When I was watching this, a thought did appear. Mm. And I'm not sure we're going to do this as canon, but it's a thought to appear. What if in the... So if this show had gone in an extra season, would have been like at the ending of Roseanne, we would have found out that Agnes had written this all as her murder mystery. (laughs) Yeah. These are the characters that she wanted to spend time with. She does... I'm not saying she's Miss Havishamming in her home, but she may not be going out. No, it just just ends with her like at a book signing. Yeah. A a successful... I I want a long line. And and, and like... David and Maddie come up and, and say to her, I mean, we've been living next to you in the apartment building for so many years. I, we never knew you were a writer like this. Because they're a married couple. They're a married couple that she based the characters kids. over. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we didn't know that. We, But we've read all your books. And it's weird how during part of your book series, we get together and it kind of ruins it. <laughs> because we're happily married. <laughs> What we're going to end on is the thought that Agnes is going to go out on a date with Neil Sandwich, uh, which is I also the best. That's canon now. His name is now Neil Sandwich. Neil Sandwich, yeah. <laughs> um, but we hope you enjoyed it. And now stay tuned for your local news. Tonight on Eyewitness News, could that book you're reading be trying to kill you? The answer. <laughs>